Hello and welcome to the Fat Town Thoughts podcast, where every week we bring you a discussion around the workings and makings of crypto, finance and the markets. My name's Stephen Dickens, I'm your co-host and I'm joined as always by Jared Clee. Hey Jared, welcome to the show. Hey Stephen, happy Friday, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing better than you. I obviously didn't get arrested last night and put in a dark, dingy dungeon like you. <laughs> are you in the? What have you done to be in that sort of place where you are with bad audio and bad lighting? No, I like it. It's actually I'm out in uh, I'm out in Connecticut, my wife's family's place. Um, lovely place out in uh, Mystic, Connecticut, right close to the water. Oh. It's lovely. I just I'm I'm hi- I'm hiding in one room so they don't have to listen to me. Uh, yell into the microphone for 30 minutes. <laughs> well, fantastic, fantastic. So we're up to episode 31. We Our sort of minor blip over the Memorial Day weekend is behind us, and normal service should be resumed. And so this week, payment for order flow, kind of our structure of markets discussion kind of continues. Get our listeners and our watchers here sort of orientated. This term's come to prominence, I think, largely off the back of our dear friends at Robinhood who were trying to disrupt the um, share trading marketplace. Came to prominence with them stopping sort of the operations around a particular set of stocks. But so I think the term's kind of found its way into the public lexicon and the public discussion. I've been interested in this topic but before we go much further just explain what this is how it works what should we be thinking about here yeah it's a, it's a pretty fancy term for what's ultimately a pretty simple concept mm-hmm. brokers pay third parties to process their trades and ultimately submit them to exchanges and the question is why does that exist well, I mean, let's just take ourselves out of the, the world of securities and equities for the moment. Let's just go to any like normal good that gets traded. You kind of have two types of buyers and sellers in the market. You have retail who's doing stuff in small lots, maybe single things, maybe small numbers. And you got big wholesalers who are purchasing enormous amounts. The structure of what it means to handle those trades is fundamentally different. Like you and I, when we go try buy stuff on Amazon, we're not booking shipping containers and moving it across the world, but someone who's dealing wholesale might do exactly that. So when you and I go and deal with, say, buying things and getting them delivered, the flow for our trades is fundamentally different, and it involves a bunch of intermediaries who will stitch together a bunch of small orders into big orders that will eventually hit a wholesaler, and that wholesaler will then deal in big lots of orders. The world of equities is no different here. Payment for order flow is just that fancy term where somebody who's aggregating those retail trades, Robin Hood, Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, the like, aggregates those trades and sends them to a third party who effectively acts as a wholesaler. Virtue, Citadel, there are a number of firms. That wholesaler pays the aggregator for directing the flow of trades to them. That is the payment for order flow. So this is exactly the same. And, you know, you and I both worked in IT. There's distributors in IT, you know, so companies want to buy laptops. They want to go, they'll work with a reseller. 
there's a two-tier distribution model. So you go and buy a thousand laptops for a laptop rollout from a computer center or a mainline or a Sirius, or they will then go and place that on a distributor who will provide them warehousing capabilities. And the distributor will be working with a HPE, a HP or a Dell or a Lenovo to hold them in stock and, and sort of buy them in bulk so they get the right price. It's exactly that same model here is what you're describing. You know, food retail, um, it would be largely the same. You know, your sort of corner store isn't organizing shipping containers, as you mentioned. You know, they're buying it from a wholesaler who's then buying it from the original manufacturer. So why has this become contentious? So if that's just normal market operations, why has it become kind of so so charged? So, so I think even before we jump into that, Stephen, it's it's a question of why does this even exist? Like, why don't you just submit it yourself <laughs> and bypass the wholesaler? And there, there's two pieces of this here. One, and this is structural to the market, there are a lot of execution venues. When you and I go and sell shares of Apple, there's like a thousand different places, not quite a thousand, but there are a lot of different places that order could get routed, different exchanges, different places it could be executed. So you want to break apart, like Charles Schwab and Robinhood don't want to be in the business of figuring out where those trades should go. So they're just kind of offloading that responsibility to a third party. The second piece is we have rules on the books that are called best, best execution. They're a little bit complicated, but they basically require that Robinhood, that those intermediaries, Virtu and Susquehanna and so on, do their best to provide the best service to that retail investor. And that's not just price. It's a combination of you need to get the cheapest price available and you need to do it quickly and you need to guarantee that the trade will actually go through. And it's kind of these three levers that they're trying to offset against each other, not just one or the other. Again, not the business that a Robinhood and a Charles Schwab are in. They're offloading that set of how do I optimize per the SEC regulations. It's the combination of those two that actually create, uh, fundamentally create this market. Without multiple execution venues, if it was just like one place to go stick trades, we wouldn't have these intermediaries. If you could just fleece investors, we wouldn't have these intermediaries. Robinhood and whatnot would just like throw it over the fence and say, good luck, retail investors. If someone fleeces you, it's your problem. Um, Or they'd build a competency in-house and differentiate on that. Instead, what they've done, we've created a market for these intermediaries. Basically, these middlemen, they're they're converting, they're connecting retail to wholesale. Um, the, The reason it's gotten controversial is mostly because of Robinhood. This is, to be clear, this is a model that's been around for 30 plus years at this point. There was an SEC paper in, I want to say 1995, exploring the same thing in the options market. Like, this is not a new topic. What happened is Robinhood kind of took it to the logical conclusion. They said, look, we are going to give away free trading to retail investors, and we're going to make basically all of our money on payment for order flow, meaning it appears free to the investor, but because we're routing all of our trades to (coughs) Citadel in this case, we're going to make all of our money on Citadel paying us for routing the trades. That... Without doing any deeper analysis, that gives the impression of impropriety. Reason being is Citadel is paying Robinhood for something. 
if they can't make money off it, they probably aren't going to pay. Well, if they're making money off it, how do you guarantee that this is in fact best execution? Somebody's paying that bill. The impression and the expectation and certainly the SEC's impression is that it's ultimately being paid by that retail investor, even though they don't know it. So even though it, quote, looks like free trading, under the covers, they're getting, they're not getting, the, the trades aren't going through as fast, or they're more expensive or what have you. They're being disadvantaged in a different way that's sneaky and harder to see. Yeah, and this comes back to up until um, stock trading was free, there was an implied impression, I'd imagine, in, oh, I'm paying somebody to complete this trade, you know, whether that's a broker or a bro some somebody was getting paid purely to execute the trade. So my perception was, oh, there's some value being added in the placing of that trade, and I'm prepared to pay for it. When Robinhood come and disrupt the market and say, we'll give you that for free, that perception changes. But the cost of executing the trade is still there. It's just how the perception has changed. It, it, it helps if we rewind the clock even further. I mean, just get, let's go way, way back. Brokers, equity brokers used to have guaranteed by regulation, used to have guaranteed spreads on trades. So if you came in as a as a retail trader, the broker knew what they were going to make, an eighth of it, uh, eighth of a point, et cetera. And it, it went down over the years. So the whole structure of the market, first off, that was wildly expensive for investors. And we're not talking that far along. We're talking 80s, early 90s. Eventually, we switched over from pricing things in eighths to pricing pricing things in decimals. Then we got rid of the regulations that, and I may have the order swapped there, but we got rid of the regulations that guaranteed the broker spreads, which is how we get the rise of these first massive equity trading shops that eventually get consumed by the investment banks. As technology gets better, then we get the automation and basically technology-driven approach of this where you no longer have people in between. The, the By the way, the, the kind of you and me conclusion, not looking at the market structure, but just watching TV. If you go on CNBC now and you'll see Jim Cramer and, and other talking heads on TV sitting on the trading floor, having their conversation, that trading floor used to be wall to wall people with open outcry for equity trading. We no longer have that because it's all computers. The reason they're able to have their desk down there is because all the people have been replaced with servers. That that's yeah, I've been to, I've been to the, the trading spreads have come way, 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 way down. And the SEC is now looking at this and going, hey, this is the last big hurdle here. We've still got these people that are fleecing investors just doing it in a hidden way as opposed to explicitly stating cost per trade. Yeah, and I've been to the trading floor. I've had a trip around the New York Stock Exchange. It's a cool place to hang out. It is not how the trades are happening anymore. They are happening on servers, as you say, in buildings close to that trading floor. It's not actually good. There's not people shouting at each other and buying and selling like you saw in, you know, Wall Street, the movie from the 80s. We've moved on from that. So, as I say, this came to prominence when Robin Hood dabbed the brakes. I'm trying to remember well, the whole period of I mean, COVID. Let's, let's be explicit here. GameStop, Robin Hood got wildly overwhelmed with GameStop. We had somewhere on the order of 
if memory serves, $163 million worth of trades that went through Robinhood that were not executed. I believe at the uh, DTCC level, it was about $400 million worth of trades across the whole market that failed so to execute. So just pause there. I know what DTCC is. I know you know what that is, but we've got some people here. We're DTCC is it, – it, it, when we talk plumbing for securities trading, DTCC is the plumbing. It's Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, which is a very fancy way of saying no matter where your trade goes, any broker, Robinhood, Fidelity, you name it, any exchange, it ultimately goes to DTCC and that trade gets matched up with somebody else on the other side of the trade. So at some point, every buy order has to meet a sell order. Money has to go one way. The stocks have to go the other way. That is DTCC in a nutshell. It is a jointly owned consortium by a whole bunch of the big players on Wall Street. It is jointly owned and effectively jointly insured. So they guarantee that DTCC won't fail because they all pay into an insurance fund. And in the event that any of the members that are part of DTCC fail and their trades don't go through, they get paid, made whole out of the insurance fund that compensates whoever was actually doing the trading and then the insurance premiums for all the members go back up. That's never happened, but it's turned into a very robust system. It's it's long history dating back to uh, the 70s to solve what was began as a paperwork crisis because we well we didn't have a system like this and it turned into a bit of a mess. Yeah, very very well run slick operation down on Wall Street. Been to see those guys a bunch of times. Very, very well-run operation but, that does but, but, an amazing way, job on in the behind the scenes. It's extraordinary work at extraordinary volumes. I mean, they're doing trillions of dollars a day across equities and derivatives and the like. That said, there is very much room for improvement there. Part of the reason that we have challenges, so the GameStop saga is not just a story about payment for order flow. The GameStop saga, when that fell over and Robinhood had a halt trading on, on their platform, not on the markets, and ended up having to pony up billions of dollars. It's we, we, We've covered this in a previous episode. Part of what drove that is under the covers, we have what's called T plus two settlement trade plus two days for equity and payment to actually move. And we have the technology. Paxos uh, just did a two-year pilot under uh, SEC no action letter that can that demonstrated we can do T plus zero, meaning same day settlement. Without going too far into the details, when you have a trade open for more than same day, it ties up a bunch of stocks and a bunch of cash. Because while you're waiting for those to move, you can't touch that stuff. It's a wildly expensive way to run a trading operation. One, two, it opens both parties up to risk. Because you're now waiting two days to find out whether or not somebody's going to actually show up with the cash or show up with the shares. If you can drop that down to zero, you eliminate a lot of risk and you open up, you unlock a lot of trapped capital and trapped stocks. There's a bunch of nuance here. It's not just a straightforward like, hey, let's just switch this stuff. A whole bunch of systems have to change. Your compliance has to change. You now have to be your op, people operations have to change because you now have to actually monitor things on a daily rather than 48 hour basis. This is a big shift for the system when it eventually happens. 
But as good a job as DTCC does, we can still do better. And Paxos mm -hmm. is very much pushing the, the bleeding edge of what that may turn to be. So this structure of the market, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly here? We've, we're sort of pulling apart this, sort of peeling off the layers of the onions. What are the – I mean – it is the way the market's structured. We've got this wholesale kind of model. What's the good, the bad, and the ugly here? The place to start, and we've, we've hit on it already, is it works pretty damn well. I mean, stock mm -hmm. trading in the U.S. is the most competitive in the world. Most competitive meaning it is the best execution for retail investors anywhere in the world, period, full stop, without question. What we're talking about here is incrementally making it even better. Mm -hmm. That's the good. The bad is it's really difficult to understand whether or not investors are getting fleeced because they're, quote unquote, getting something for free that, in fact, is getting routed to somebody who's taking advantage of them. The reason that's difficult is it's hard to compare best execution in two different scenarios. One, where it's routed to a third party. The second, where it's sent direct to an exchange or through another model, which we, we can talk about. The reason it's difficult is if it was just a matter of price, it's very easy to compare. But as we said, we've got these two other levers of, did the trade go through and did it go through in a timely manner? That timely manner matters because if it doesn't go through in a timely manner, you have an opportunity for somebody to effectively front run your trade. See that the trade's coming in, increase the price, even though it'll look like you didn't pay that much for the trade. In effect, you thought you were going to buy something at a dollar, you paid a dollar five cents, you're still effectively paying. Somebody else got out in front of you. It, that's really hard to compare. If you go back and I'll take the option study from the 90s when the SEC was like, hey, we don't like this payment for order flow thing. It was, it was called a special study. We don't like this payment for order flow thing in the options market. It, their conclusion was we can't we don't like it. It feels bad, but we can't find any material difference in the actual execution. Like, OK, what's happening now and the reason we're having this conversation, the SEC uh, chair, uh, Gary Gensler, came out and said, we're going to take a very serious look on this. That is the most recent chapter in what's now been close to a 12-month saga by Gary Gensler, where he originally came out and said, we're going to ban it. He then walked back those comments in December of last year and said, well, we're not going to ban it, but we're probably going to modify it. And now he's coming forward and saying, we're going to finally do something about it. And as you can expect, the Robin Hoods and so on of the world that are sending uh, these trades to third parties are saying, no, look, um, it's it's healthy for the market. The guys that are getting paid, Citadel, Virtu, and, and so on, are very much saying, no, 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 we swear we're doing good things for the market. My challenge with this, I'll, I'll give my personal opinions about what does and doesn't work in a sec. The, the challenge I have right now with the, how the SEC is approaching it is they do not have the data yet. I have not seen anything published that's robust, that demonstrates that, hey, it's good or hey, it's bad. Right now, what we're going on feels like, looks like, seems like that's not a way to regulate. We, the SEC has yeah, access somebody's, to phenomenal somebody's amounts of data. somebody's getting paid for something. 
yeah, somebody's getting paid for something that's not immediately transparent to the retail investor. Therefore, that feels bad to us. Therefore, we should do something. Is probably not the best basis to sort of embark on wide sweeping regulation change and changes to legislation because it no, feels and, and, bad. And that's not exactly. saying whether it is bad or not. That's just saying, you know, a bad feeling about something's probably not a good place to embark and, from. And to be clear, I, I don't give two shits about a comment period about how do you feel about this either. That's entirely irrelevant. Mm. Go do the work, publish publish the paper, like, like the SEC did previously with the special study, payment for order flow and options. Like, go publish the numbers. Then go have a comment period about, hey, we think this is okay or we think this isn't. And here's a proposed way of changing this system. We have data, we have enormous amounts of data to go do the work. Just do the work. Um, yeah, do the work. Do the work is your point. Don't go stating opinions because something feels bad. Now, with that said, let's have a bit of fun playing the opinion game because there there is two interesting sides of this. It's and a Friday I, so, morning, and we've we've caught you in mystic for the weekend. Let, let's let's go for it, man. Let's go for it. Uh, so, oh, by the way, terrible aside, for anyone who ever comes and visits Mystic, um, you may have seen or heard of the movie Mystic Pizza. There is an actual Mystic Pizza restaurant in downtown Mystic. The pizza is awful. Do not go. Pizzetta is right around the corner, makes phenomenal pizza. Go there. Uh, that is my that is my consumer advice and, for this Friday. And next week, Mystic Pizza will be a sponsor of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jared. Don't go annoying people, please. We don't need lawsuits. Pizzetta's wonderful. You got, fine. Nana's also makes phenomenal pizza and is located just behind Sea Sproul, just outside downtown Mystic. Um, <laughs> Lots uh, of pizza yeah. options in Mystic, by the way, people. You make your own choice. This is not pizza advice. Pizzetta used to have shirts that said, uh, take your picture there, eat your pizza here. Um, oh, was, I like that. That's cute. That's cute. Great, I like that. Um, all right. So, so back, back, opinion. Back what, do you, what do you think about so, this? I I have I haven't done a complete one eighty on this topic, but I'm getting close to it. And let let me explain. I don't like the impression. I I am inherently one of those people when I see something, hey, it's free, free trading. I am inherently suspicious because I know that I'm paying some other way, and if I'm not paying, somebody else is. It's what really got me excited about. Uh, buy now, pay later, for instance. Hey, we're giving you this free six-week loan. Like, who the hell's paying for that? So I'm in here. Yeah, it's like suspicious. social media. If you're, if it's free, you're the product. Bingo. Bingo. So I, this, I, I, and in the episode on, on Robinhood and GameStop blowing up and so on, beat them up. I, no love lost here um, for Robinhood. I, they've incurred, they've gamified trading they make money hand over fist on people that should be investing rather than trading. I, I have n no love loss for Robinhood. The world would be better off without them. That said, payment for order flow in the abstract. I want to take us, I had this conversation uh, with Doug Colkit, I think is his last name. Anyhow, he's, he's the um, CEO and founder of CrocSwap, which is doing interesting things in the crypto world. He actually comes from the high frequency trading world. He deeply understands market structure. He subsequently ran his own hedge fund uh, doing similar work. He had a really interesting set of comments on Twitter that I dug into and, and went back and forth a little, little bit with him on. 
I want to take us out of the equities world for a moment. I want to move us into a different world where we have high frequency, high volume of trading, and we have a company that prints money hand over fist, Google. We have an auction system for ads. Google runs it. So in theory, you could set up Google differently. What you could do is you could have all those small mom and pop shops, Mystic Pizza versus Pizzetta, for instance, who want to buy ads on Google. You could set up a structure whereby they go and they engage a wholesaler who stitches together the retail ads, structures it for them, and then submits it to Google. Google could even offer that as a service where they go and create the, the subsidiary wholesalers who stitch that together. Instead, what Google does is they force every small mom and pop business to go and compete against each other and go compete against big companies like Domino's in the pizza space to all compete for ad space. The reason Google does that is because they make a lot of money doing it. What you have in that market is you, first off, you have a Dutch auction, or something, but more importantly, you have a winner's curse. In order for in order for people to participate in that market, they have to bid against each other. You have adversarial bidding. What ends up happening is more often than not, the winner of the auction overbids. They pay too much versus how much it's worth. And as a result, they would have been better off losing the, the auction entirely. Google benefits from that. When people overpay, Google makes more money. They have structured a market that is an open auction. By contrast, what we've seen in equities is we do not have an open auction. We don't have retail investors just coming in and submitting their trades to exchanges. We have these intermediaries, these wholesalers, who go and stitch together retail investors and then submit big block trades to the actual exchanges. If Google could make more money by inserting wholesalers into their model, I expect they would have done it. They haven't. It, intuition tells me that if we, if we could help retail investors save money by having an open auction, somebody would have done it. We haven't. Mm -hmm. Instead, we've inserted wholesalers. My, even though it's uncomfortable for me to say it feels like the wholesalers are probably providing a useful service. It doesn't mean that they are giving you absolutely the best price every time, but on the average, in comparison to an open auction model, where now everybody's competing against each other and you have adversarial bidding and the inevitable winner's curse, you probably have a better execution model than what you would have otherwise. Now, that said, there may be other models out there, absolutely, and, and Gensler seems to think that there may well be, but the initial like, hey, just let people have an auction, I'm pretty sure that one's wrong. Yeah, and this is going to be interesting to see at this play out. I get the impression that if they do the work, that's going to take them a couple of years to do the work, then there's going to be a consultation period probably 12 to 24 months. So we're six years away from any meaningful legislation, probably on a normal course and trajectory, do you think? No, I think this one could, could likely happen a lot faster. We have, especially with the CAT program, Consolidated Audit Trail, we, we have now very, very robust and readily available data on equities trading. 
The likelihood of the SEC banning payment for order flows seems that would be a multi-year endeavor simply because even if mm-hmm. the, the regulations got written yesterday, it would take a, a lot of time, years to formally implement and change the structure and so on. More likely than not, what we'll see is modifications to what defines best execution. That may not eliminate payment for order flow, but it'll certainly modify it materially. That's a natural evolution of the market. If the SEC wants to come in and say, hey, look, we used to say this is what best execution looks like, and we emphasized, say, speed and likelihood of the trade going through, and now we're instead going to emphasize uh, cheaper trades, fine, have at it if, if you think that's going to improve the market. My conclusion there is twofold. One, great, have at it, but do your homework, get the data. That's a six to 12 months exercise and then then common period and so on. Not years, probably 18 months-ish. But two, if I look at the, the set of challenges just facing the equities market, what we mentioned earlier, like T plus two settlement time, that is a much bigger issue. And that is a solvable one. Paxos did a wonderful pilot. I mean, hats off to them. They they have since applied for a, uh, a a clearing agency license, which would allow them to do this formally at scale, bring on clients and, and effectively compete with DTCC. And the SEC is just dragging their feet. I mean, this isn't like a we've reviewed it. There is a formal process by which somebody goes and applies and then gets published publicly for comment. The SEC has kept it in-house and refused refused. They haven't allowed it to be released for public comment. Like, the, the, why? What, what on earth are you doing over there other than protecting the incumbent monopoly that doesn't allow you to move ahead with this? That's a material issue. We, we know we have a centralized monopoly. We know that it can cause problems in the case of GameStop. We know it's wildly expensive. We know it embodies counterparty risk. It took over six months to deal with the multi-billion dollars of Lehman Brothers trades in the wake of 0809. And we have a solution that the SEC allowed to move ahead under no action letter. And now is just sitting on its hands, refusing to let move further ahead after a wildly successful pilot. Get your act together. Well, I mean, for me, that's, are they well-funded enough to actually do something? Is there some nefarious kind of reason for inaction here? I mean, that's where we need our elected officials to be tapping the SEC on the shoulder and going, come on, get your act together, I think. Well, I, I, have, a, I have a huge amount of respect for Gary Gensler as an, as an academic. Um, his depth of knowledge of the, of the markets is second to none. I mean, the guy is a career Wall Street person, was at, at Goldman Sachs for a bunch of years, professor up at it was MIT or, or Harvard, I forget, um, has been in and out of government a number of times. The guy gets it. He is thoughtful. He understands the markets. But I have absolutely no idea what he's doing on this front. Just bluntly, there are real material ways to improve execution, to reduce risk, to make the U.S. equity markets even more competitive than they are today. And if I made my top five list, what Paxos is trying to do is certainly in the top two or three. I'm not sure that payment for order flow cracks the top five, never mind the top 10. The idea that mm-hmm. this is the bat we're going to swing right now, even if it, yes, it incrementally improves the markets, like why on earth is what is this what you're going to 
bad over. I don't get it. Taking it from two days to one to intraday to complete a trade sounds like a whole better way of putting and, disruption into that market. And again, it allows it's a it's a much longer conversation. We can do things net settlement versus gross settlement. So net settlement, you net out the trades and then you just deal with the amount that's left over. Gross settlement, you actually do all of the trades. What's great about gross settlement is you can actually track the individual trades as opposed to basically throw it in an omnibus account, just mix everything up and then just set out the net amounts and allow the external third parties to have to unwind and say, hey, this was yours, this was yours. There are real material ways to improve the plumbing here. We've got awesome startups uh, and established companies that are trying to forge ahead with that. And the SEC, yes, it may be under-resourced, but in, in my humble and occasionally ignorant opinion, <laughs> is allocating those resources to things that are materially less impactful, but probably get more political points, certainly are more prominent in the public eye, even though the ultimate resolution, even if we make big changes, is eh, eh, incremental on the global scale. Well, I think that's a great way for us to wrap. You've been listening to the Fat Tail Thoughts podcast. We'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much for listening. Speak to you soon.